The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Ticking Stock with Kelly McMillan. If the name sounds like a business show to you, then you've got it all wrong. Kelly McMillan is the principal of McMillan Fiberglass Stocks and will talk about shooting for fun, competition, hunting, and self-defense. Now, here is your host, Kelly McMillan. Welcome to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. I'm your host, and for the next hour, we'll be discussing all things related to guns, shooting, hunting, and the firearms industry. I'm joined by my co-host, Zev the Wolf Nadler, owner and operator of the Firearms Concierge and BestDronage.com. Thank you, Kelly. And I want to give a shout out to our good friend Len Backus at LongRangeHunting.com. For all your long-range hunting and shooting needs, check out his website, LongRangeHunting.com. Hey, Zev, I want to talk to you a little bit. Uh, I know, uh, Sivan, your youngest daughter has been doing a, a, a lot of shooting. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how she's doing? She's doing great. Um, interestingly enough, I'm, I'm left-eye dominant because I don't have a right eye, but both my daughters are righties and for some reason became left-eye dominant. Uh, but we're working with the uh, uh, Arizona State Rifle and Pistol Association. They have an NRA junior small bore program up at Ben Avery Shooting Facility, and they've just got all the gear you could ever want. They've got Anschutz rifles, and uh, they have two of them in lefty, which worked out well for us. And the uh, first time she was out there, she was uh, hitting, you know, five-round groups really tight. So she has an affinity for it. Um, now she's got to learn how to develop the strength in her right, right arm to hold that rifle up with a sling. But, yeah, all around, we're really excited at her progress. Thanks for asking. Awesome. I know the ASRPA is uh, run by Noble Hathaway. Such a great guy. Really, really good friend of uh, anyone that's interested in firearms. And, and I definitely want to have him on the show. So maybe next time you talk to him, uh, yeah, mention that we'd like to get him on. Uh, today, we've got a, a really great guest uh, to start off the show. I'm really excited with having uh, him on the show. Um, cutting edge stuff. Uh, <laughs> And the pun is intended. Uh, Dan Schmitzko, who owns uh, Cutting Edge Bullets. Dan, thanks for being on the show today. Uh, thank you very much, and thanks for having me. Well, we usually start off the show with our guests explaining a little bit about uh, who they are, where they grew up, uh, how they came to be interested in firearms, and in your case, uh, bullets. Uh, why don't you give us a little history? <clears throat> okay. Um well, uh, unfortunately, uh, I am from Pennsylvania, so um, it is what it is. The East Coast is kind of uh, tough on the uh, uh, in, uh, shooting industries these days, but, um, and, you know, mainly because it's very hard to find a place to do what we do, which is extreme long-range shooting. But I grew up in Pennsylvania, been here all my life, and uh, was a machinist for 22 years for... Uh, another machine shop and decided to start my own shop. So in 2001, uh, we started a CNC Swiss screw machining facility and uh, here in central Pennsylvania. Um, 
over the years. You know, it took us a few years, of course, like any bull, uh, business, to uh, you know get on our feet and then start doing well. And in 2010, we formed Cutting Edge Bullets. Um, mainly, the start of that company had to do with us in our long-range shooting and trying to find and come up with a better bullet to do that with. Um, and at the time, you know, we were shooting most, most of our long-range shooting was done with uh, 338 caliber. So, you know, in 2008, we started uh, uh, playing with different designs and, you know, trying to come up with a, a really good design that we were happy with that was better than uh, what we was currently using. Um, and we did that, and that's why we decided, you know what, we should probably, uh, you know, start making more of these calibers so, and, and start selling them. So that's how we started out uh, uh, forming cutting-edge bullets. Well, you know, that's interesting, Dan, because I remember, and it seems like a lot longer ago than 2010, but when I was pretty heavily involved in uh, the Sniper's Hide, you, you know, the forum that uh, a lot of the, the tactical guys go to, uh, you know, they really were uh, on the cutting edge of, of long-range shooting. And really, the only kind of bullet that I remember being mentioned was cutting-edge bullets. You know, the 338 Lapua had become kind of the, the mainstay of anything long distance. And uh, you guys were really the first ones to break out of that Lapua mold and start coming up with, with bullets that would technically fly better. Yeah, it seems like a lot longer ago, and, you know, I would say we up until 2010, for sure, we were pretty careful about what we put out, you know, just because, you know, it's kind of risky doing that, having a new product and, you know, not having uh, all your ducks in a row. But, um, yeah, it seems like a, a really long time ago, but um, 2010 is really when, uh, especially that Lapua thing, really started to take off. Well, and so you had a Swiss screw machine. Um, explain to our listeners exactly what a Swiss, <laughs> okay. a Swiss screw well, machine uh, does. Yeah, I think most people understand uh, machining and how it's done on a, uh, I'll say, a conventional type of lathe. Where you the the machine, you chuck up your bar stock. And you have a tool, whatever you're doing with that part, uh, if you're turning it, it runs uh, across your material um, at, of course, your speed and feed that you program it, and you make chips and you make a part. Uh, so your material is sticking out as far and as long as your part is going to be. With CNC uh, sliding headstock, Swiss screw machines, uh, they don't work exactly like that. The, the tool is stationary, I'll say, and it only moves in one axis, generally speaking. There are some exceptions to that, but generally they move in one axis, and it moves from the center line of the spindle outwards. So, uh, and the bar stock is, slides through a precision guide bushing that is very close to that cutting tool. So the whole bar in this in this particular case, is spinning, and it's a, usually a 12-foot bar. And as, as it's spinning, there, 
it is forced through a guide bushing that's right next to the cutting tool and moving the material past that cutting tool. So you get very, very little deflection in your, in your part and material uh, compared to, like, uh, running a tool over top of the part. Which, you know, for making long, long skinny parts, that is ideal for that because you don't have that deflection. You know, on a Swiss screw machine, for example, you can take a piece of quarter-inch diameter material and you can turn it down to, you know, uh, a sixteenth of an inch in diameter, six inches long. And that would be impossible to do on a lathe just because of the way they work. You cannot stick a piece of bar stock out that far and cut it. Well, the same thing goes with bullets. You know, when you're sticking a piece of bar out and you're cutting that bullet, you have to make multiple cuts on it. Or, you know, it, it is going to, that tool is going to deflect that material. With a Swiss screw machine, that does not happen because there is no uh, very, very little uh, part deflection because the cutting tool is positioned so close to the guide bushing that that material is coming out of. Uh, there are there are good examples of that, I believe, on our website that shows uh, not a lot of machining, but, uh, you know, how a bullet is machined on a Swiss screw machine, and you can see, you know, just uh, for yourself how that how that works. Since you've mentioned your website, why don't you go ahead and give our listeners that address so that they can check out your work? Sure. The website is uh, www.cuttingedgebullets.com. Um you know, our machining company, which is where we manufacture all of the bullets, that is uh, cuttingedgemachining.com. But, you know, they're all linked together. So if you get on the cuttingedgebullets.com website, uh, I think you can go to our YouTube channel uh, that is uh, on the uh, homepage, and, you know, you can go right to these videos. Great. Thanks for that. Uh, and so that's CuttingEdgeBullets.com and Cutting Edge Machine. Machining. Plural. Machining. Okay, good. Okay, so everybody uh, that wants to check out what uh, Dan's companies do, uh, you can get them at those addresses. Uh, we encourage all of our listeners to do that. Uh, you know, the one thing I know that, that you started out with just a couple of bullets uh, and now you make many, many different kinds. Can you give us an idea of what the different lines of bullets are and, and w how they differ and, and exactly what it is that you're trying to accomplish? Sure. Uh, we started out, of course, uh, like, I, like I mentioned, uh, in the long-range game. And so that is the first line of bullets that we developed uh, called the MTH, Match Tactical Hunting. Uh, shortly after that, uh, we came out with a matching MTAC bullet. That's strictly match tactical, non-expanding. Um, and the, and the, both of those lines uh, run from uh, 22 caliber up to uh, uh, 50 caliber. Uh, next, we uh, became good friends with some people in different industries, uh, <clears throat> hunting industries, and one in particular was interested in developing a new line of safari uh, bullets, and he was looking for a manufacturer to help him with that, and it's like, well, sure, you know, uh, we can do that. We make bullets, so let's do it. So we developed the Dangerous Game brass line of bullets uh, in 
both in a hollow point and a matching solid. And that is just what it says. It's used for, uh, they are brass banded bullets. They're used for, uh, you know, the larger animals uh, you'd find in Africa and uh, really nothing in North America that you'd really need something like that. I mean, people use them for bear and uh, moose and things like that, but that's really not necessary for thin-skinned game. Uh, we then uh, came out with a a cross, I'll call, between the the solid line of uh, dangerous game bullets and the hollow point, and that was the ESP Raptor for it enhanced system projectile. And, you know, some people think that's a little gimmicky, and maybe it is, but that bullet, you know, comes with tips, and you can put a tip in the hollow point end or not. It depends on, you know, whether you're using a lever gun or a bolt-action rifle or a double rifle, for example. Um, and it also can be flipped around and used as a, as a solid. Uh, and it works very well uh, as a solid, super deep penetration, flat nose design. Um, and uh, that particular bullet goes down from 222 caliber. So that is a really good uh, deer hunting round with the tip popped in it and loaded as a hollow point, of course, not as a solid. That is fascinating stuff, Zev, here. Um you know, Dan, I met you for the first time at uh, King of Two Mile last year in Raton, New Mexico, and uh, I remember doing a quick video uh, of you and Durbin under your uh, canopy with the wind howling, <laughs> and uh, definitely looking forward to seeing you this year. Um, what does ELR mean to you guys? Um, how dedicated are you to it, and uh, you know, where are you going in, in that way? Well, the ALR game is just the ideal uh, game for us to play in. You know, we're not professional match shooters, uh, but we love to shoot, and we do a lot of shooting, and we do a lot of long-range shooting. So the the King of Two Mile, when uh, that... uh, we heard about that a couple of years ago. It's like, oh, my God, this is perfect for us. Um, when we design our uh, extreme long-range bullets, our MTH and MTAC line, uh, we, make, we try to make them with a good ballistic coefficient, but we're not going to be the highest ballistic coefficient guys around. Um, there's a lot more to extreme long-range accuracy than having a good ballistic coefficient on your bullets. Uh, they have to be super accurate, and that ballistic coefficient has to be uh, uh, very close. Um, or, or uh, like if you test, you know, 10 bullets, uh, the BC numbers that you get, you know, they better be very consistent. If they're not consistent, then it's no good in the extreme long-range uh, shooting right. uh Discipline because you're going to get vertical stringing out there, two thousand or three thousand yards. So yeah, we're we're very excited to uh, keep participating in the extreme long range uh, uh, shooting and uh, possibly attend some other matches that are going to be held across the country here. I have a question about that. What you were just speaking about, Dan? Uh, BC plays a big part in whether or not uh, a shooter understands 
what the bullet's going to do at given ranges. Uh, I'm not sure I understand everything I need to know about BC. I know there's G1 BC, there's G7 BC. Uh, I'm not even sure why they need two different kinds. But what you said was that the bullets have to be consistent BC from bullet to bullet. And I'm thinking when I hear that is the only way that you know that it's going to be as if you shoot it. And it performs the way it's supposed to form according to what that BC calculated BC tells you it will do. Now, if and when you're saying you need to shoot maybe 10, 20 rounds to see if a, a lot of bullets or if a particular kind of bullet runs with as little deviation as, as possible, is that how you determine whether a bullet is is consistent BC or not? Yeah, that's how we determine it. I mean, we shoot them a lot, of course, um, but, you know, the absolute best way is, uh, you know, to test, to scientifically test them first, you know, using time of flight, you know, between uh, uh, a certain known distance. And I'm not talking at 200 yards either. I'm talking, you know, 600,000 yards or as far as, you know, somebody can do that. And, you know, you you come up with these numbers and you'll see a deviation. Uh, generally, the, the trend is to go to the G7 uh, because that cl- more closely matches the profile of a uh, low drag or very low drag bullet uh, versus, you know, the G1 was developed for more of a flat-based type bullet. With that being said, uh, G7, G1 numbers are still good numbers to use uh, no matter which uh, type of ballistic coefficient you use, when you start getting out there to where your bullets are losing velocity, you're going to have to modify the, the uh, ballistic coefficient and do a truing in your ballistic program in order to make first round hits well through the transonic uh, stage of flight. How do you accurately test the time of flight? We, we use uh, an Oler system, and we use acoustic targets set out. Uh, in, in our particular case, we do it. Depending on the, the type of bullet we're testing, our long-range bullets we like to do at 600 yards. So we have a certified uh, distance measured, you know, uh, and not using a range finder, but uh, more surveying type equipment. And uh, you're measuring that time of flight from the time it leaves the barrel till the time it uh, uh, flies through that acoustic target. And using that number, you can calculate, you know, uh, the ballistic coefficient number, whether it be G1 or G7, you know, you can, it, it's your choice. And by looking at those numbers from uh, through a string of shots, you can see that, you know, oh, well, my BC was uh, .625 on this shot and 645 on, you know, another shot and 630. It's not uncommon to fluctuate a little bit, but when you start getting 10, 20 points in fluctuation uh, in, in ballistic coefficient numbers, uh, well, you can just run that through any ballistic program, and it'll tell you that, wow, you know, you're going to come up with different uh, drop numbers at 2,000 yards just using those numbers. So, of course, you want a bullet that is as close as possible, and, you know, you try to maintain those uh, ballistic coefficients very close. 
You mentioned Oler, and I think everybody thinks of um, chronographs when you, you mention the Oler name. Uh, is that the type of equipment you were talking about? Yeah, that's the type of equipment that we use. I mean, it is uh, really good stuff, and, uh, you know, there's some other uh, things out there right now, but that's uh, what we have used for a long time, and uh, it's been very good to us, and it actually matches very well. Our G7 numbers match what uh, applied ballistics gets uh, very, very close. So, you know, we like to think we're doing things correctly, and, you know, we have a discrepancy between the two of us as far as how the G1 is calculated, but we don't calculate anything. We let the Ehler system calculate it for us, and if we want G1 numbers, we say, okay, we want G1 numbers, and if we want G7, then we want, you know, it'll give us either one or both switching back and forth at the same time, so that's, that's where we get our numbers from. Used to be you couldn't you couldn't load any bullets without having a chronograph. That's where everybody started. But I do know some people involved in long range shooting that have basically gone the other way. They don't even use a chronograph anymore. They just shoot at long distance and verify what their data should be based on, you know, where the bullet hits at say a thousand yards, and and then they they adjust their their data from that. Uh, don't know if that's as as scientific or if it's just easier because you end up with the same results. I'm assuming that you you verify all your data that's given to you by the the chronograph uh, in actual shooting. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if, if you want to do it the other way as far as act- using actual drops, uh, that's a very accurate way to do it. But, you know, there's not many people out there that have the patience and the uh, – expertise to do that properly. Uh, you still have the condition factor that you have to take into play and all that, which you do with, uh, you know, time of flight testing as well and velocity loss. But it, it, it is, uh, becomes a lot more of, okay, you better make sure that your scope is tracking 100% when you click one MOA. It is actually moving one MOA and not, you know, uh, a little bit off. Uh, so there's a lot more things that come into play, and you, it's much easier to make an error that way. But, you know, if an individual does that with his scope and at this condition, at this temperature, this altitude, and he knows that, you know, you can still come up with a very true solution. Dan, there's uh, something that I learned about a year ago, and I'm fascinated by it, and, and you're only the second, you know, expert that we've had on, on that might be able to answer it for me. So the traditional... You know, uh, I think they call them uh, flight directions or uh, freedoms of of flight were, you know, forward, up and down and side to side. And now they've kind of got the yaw and the pitch going. So we're learning that while the bullet's in flight, things can happen to it that will raise it and that will veer it to the right, left, up or down. Is that something you can model before you start shooting it? Well, uh, you know, you have some really good programs out there now that uh, take care of all that for you. Uh, we're using, again, um, the uh, Horus unit with the applied ballistics program in it. And, you know, you calibrate that thing and say, okay, we're shooting, uh, you know, 140 degrees or whatever, and zero being uh, due north. You know, uh, east due east would be 90 degrees. So you tell it the direction that you're shooting, 
Um, and, uh, of course, you have the wind meter part of it. You know, you're going to do the best you can with the wind. And uh, these new uh, instruments really help you and uh, take care of the spin drift part of it. You know, you're putting in your barrel twist rate, and you know, and the direction of the wind is extremely important because, like you mentioned, you know, if it's blowing east to west or west to east, one way raises your trajectory a little bit, another way lowers it. You know, it depends on which way, uh, what rifle... Uh, rifling you have in your barrel, what the twist rate is, if it's left or right hand, and, you know, all kinds of things that uh, the new modern um, instrumentation makes it very easy to uh, come up with a good, accurate solution compared to even 10 years ago. I know you've been involved in the ELR-type um, competitions uh, when you can, but the concept, the ELR concept for well, since 2010, I know that you you work very hard to try to disseminate information for everybody who's involved. That's one of the the tenets of the the group of people that have basically said, okay, we want to take uh, extreme long range to uh, the very utmost. And in order to do that, we need to share information rather than to keep secrets and try to be uh, all that. I'm going to let everybody know I have a secret squirrel, super secret, top secret um, round that I'm going to be using at the uh, King of the Two Mile. And uh, you've been kind enough to work with me on developing a bullet that's going to work for this super secret squirrel, top secret round, uh, which is all I'm going to say about that now. But um, I know you're involved in, in promoting the sport and working with a lot of different people. Do you want to talk about how cutting-edge bullets and you in particular um, basically support ELR and the people that are in it? Sure. Um, well, first of all, you know, you're talking about a, uh, you know, a very select group of people here. You know, you're not talking about thousands of people. So, you know, we are very open to sharing, as it seems like, most people, you know, in this uh, ELR um, game that everybody's playing these days, uh, we, if somebody calls us and, you know, we, we are very open to questions. If someone calls and says, hey, you know, we're in a King of Two Mile, for example, and, and we're shooting this whatever it is, 375, you know, uh, what what do you recommend? And, you know, we help them out as far as cost goes. We have sponsorship programs that we do. And, uh, you know, if somebody wants uh, data as far as where to get certain things and, you know, what type of scopes everybody uses, I mean, you know, we're very open to helping everybody. We, we really have no secrets here. You know, I think uh, a, a lot of people that shoot to extreme ranges, uh, no, you know, our bullets aren't the highest BC bullets out there, but, you know, they're pretty well known for uh, being very accurate and very consistent, and uh, very consistent uh, BC numbers come from that. So, um, you know, I think that's that's all we can do as a manufacturer. I mean, uh, I can't help you if you're shooting another type of bullet. I can't help you with trajectories, but... You know, if you're using something of ours that we have data on, then, uh, you know, we're more than glad to share that information. 
Well, Dan, I really appreciate you being on the show. Unfortunately, we're just about out of time. I want to remind our listeners that if you want to find out more about what Dan does and Cutting Edge Bullets as well as Cutting Edge Machine, you can go to their website, CuttingEdgeBullets.com and CuttingEdgeMachining.com. Dan, uh, thanks again. I look forward to seeing you out on the range the next time we get together. And I'm, I'm really excited to work with you uh, both as a sponsor of the Cutting Edge team uh, and uh, having you work with me on these new bullets. I appreciate it. Well, thank you, and I appreciate uh, what you do for us as well and supplying uh, the uh, uh, stocks that you supply. Great. I I really appreciate you being on the show. I'm going to ask our listeners to stay tuned during this brief commercial break. We'll be right back with our next guest. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. For over 40 years, Macmillan USA has been at the leading edge of the gun stock industry. The company was born out of the desire to improve and perfect form, function, and precision with every one of their premium fiberglass stocks. From tactical to hunting to competitive shooting, Macmillan stocks are designed to dominate. Their signature three-way adjustable butt plates, adjustable cheek pieces, rail mounts, and adapters provide a versatile platform built on performance. Over 65 custom finishes are available, ranging from solid colors to camouflage. Check out the Macmillan website for hundreds of stocks available for immediate delivery. And for those wanting something more specialized, call the knowledgeable and friendly staff at Macmillan for a complete list of options at 877-365-6148 or visit MacmillanUSA.com. Again, that's 877-365-6148 or visit MacmillanUSA.com. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6. 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need to bitch his ass and then move on. I just just think that the coach made a mistake. Crazy. (laughs) NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. You are listening to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Now back to the show. Welcome to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. I'm your host talking about anything related to firearms. Today, I'm joined by my co-host, Zev Nadler. Hello, everybody, and uh, Kelly, thank you for having me again. Well, I think we're going to have a great show today, and one of the the coolest things about today's show is our guest is is someone that I call a friend. We met through business, but we've become 
friends and and we see each other from time to time just socially and and I really enjoy his company uh, I love his family and uh, I just like spending time with him and I think you will too so I'm going to introduce Lynn Backus from longrangehunting.com so let's start off with um, talk a little bit about you personally what your background is I know that you didn't make a living in the firearms industry your whole life like I have but um, something um, allowed you to to follow a passion so let's share that with our listeners well I, I think you're probably referring to some of my earlier business uh, experience I've been a, a business owner since I was practically a kid I uh, operated developed and operated a 25 unit restaurant chain in the 70s and in the late 80s and 90s I created and operated a luxury home building business which became the highest volume luxury home builder in the state of Wisconsin. And I retired from that in, uh, well, about 10 years ago. Uh, And about six months into my retirement, I realized I was looking for a new challenge. I had started longrangehunting.com in 2001, and at this point then the website was about uh, five or six years old, and I took my hobby website and made it into a new business. But uh, I guess I'm glossing over or skipping over the reason for the uh, creation of the website, and that took place in 2001. I had uh, been a hunter on and off all my life since my teenage days. I took off about 20 years of hunting time during my earlier careers in a couple of different businesses. And when I got back into it, I was uh, hunting on my own land in Wisconsin, white-tailed deer. I was an avid bow hunter. And each season that I hunted my stands that I had set up around my my marsh, which was the uh, sanctuary for my deer... It was an 80-acre portion of the larger portion, and I considered it to be the sanctuary where I wouldn't go in there any time during the season. I would hunt just the perimeter. Well, in sitting on 20-foot-high archery stands overlooking this 80-acre marsh, I would try to be smarter than the bucks that were bedding in there, and I was always not smart enough. I could see them sometimes getting up out of their bed, standing up out of their bed at five, 600 yards out, and then I would try to figure out which route they were going to take out of the marsh at the evening magic time, and I was almost always wrong. Well, after a couple years of that, I thought to myself, if I could shoot a rifle longer during the rifle season... If I could become proficient enough with a rifle to responsibly kill things at five or 600 yards, I had a pretty good setup. And I started teaching myself how to become a long-range hunter. That was a lot more difficult nearly 20 years ago than it is today. Uh, you had to rely on print magazines, many of them from the library, books from the library, some that I owned, and talking with other people. And it was pretty difficult. Today, it's quite easy. Uh, well, 
I agree with you on that, Lynn. Uh, 15 to 20 years ago, it was still considered by the largest portion of the hunting population to be unethical to shoot animals at that distance. And so nobody was talking about it. They weren't writing a lot of articles about it and they weren't writing books and, and nobody was sharing their experience with it because they just got bad mouth so bad. Exactly. In fact, I killed my first long range deer at 459 yards and uh, I was pretty enthused about my new strategy and uh, I tried to share it on a couple of existing websites back then that I did not own and I was just totally hammered by people saying that was unethical, etc. And uh, after a year or two of that experience, I just decided that I had to start my own website in order to have sort of a sanctuary where long-range enthusiasts and those who wanted to learn how to do it could intelligently discuss the, the techniques and learn and share their experiences and not be hammered by the naysayers. And that's how longrangehunting.com was formed back in spring of 2001. You know, that's a long time ago, and that's definitely on the cutting edge of this um, long-range hunting movement. Um, I know I met uh, Bob Beck back in 2008, I think it was, and when he was just formulating his uh, idea about how to do a television show. And, and I know, I'm not sure exactly how long Gunworks has been uh, on television and how long they've been doing what they do, but it hasn't been much longer than 2001, if it was at all. So uh, I really appreciate the fact that you were really out there trying to change the way people think and and they have been very successful. And obviously it's work, Len, because I heard that you hit the 100,000 person mark uh, just recently. So, you know, that's quite a sanctuary and quite a community where uh, you've been able to take the naysayers and make them uh, uh, protagonists. Well, thank you. Thank you. As a matter of fact, we hit the 100,000 registered member uh, number just last week, and I was looking at my, my records in preparation for our chat today, and I noticed that back in 2007, after my uh, retirement, I had 9,000 members at that time, six years into my hobby venture. And so it took uh, a while to get to 100,000 registered members. And altogether, we have roughly 300,000 different visitors come to the website per month from all over the world, although 90% of the, the traffic is from the United States. Well, that's an incredible story, and I'm, I'm really proud of you because we know that it's not easy. People think, they have this feeling that, man, if I could just find something to sell, I could sell millions of them on the Internet. And your website actually started out as a forum, is that correct? Yeah, it's still a forum, and it, and it has a, a magazine structure to it as well in the last 10 years. But I think the biggest change from the beginning till now is your online store. Yes. And that's something that is more difficult than people think. I'm here to tell you, I know because in the last three years I've put on a, 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 an online store and I have a guy full-time, that's his exclusive job 
to run that store and to make it successful. And it's not the easiest thing there is to do. And it's still it's still a, a tough job for us. It's it's a labor of love, and it, it's certainly worthwhile financially. But you're right; it's it's much more difficult than people think. The, the costs of operating something like it uh, are greater than one would think, and it takes uh, quite a few man hours per day to make it function properly. I have. Uh, Three family members that work with me, my wife just does a great job at uh, the bookkeeping and some of those administrative things. My son, Christopher, who's never had any interest in hunting or shooting, is, in fact, his main interest aside from work is music, and he's in a couple of garage bands, I guess you would call them, and and he's a very skilled musician, studied music in school, and... uh, he is our our, uh, our magazine editor, I would say, and he also is in charge of fulfillment for our store products. And my son, Andy, who is an avid hunter, uh, manages the store, and he's also very involved with me uh, in selecting article topics to... to uh, hand off to writers, and also involved in our Western hunting together and in the cooperative venture that we have with non-typical, non-typical outfitters in Wyoming where we bring groups of uh, long-range hunting members out for group hunts and we bring separate groups of long-range members out for shooting classes in the wilderness of the mountains in western Wyoming. Yeah, that's exciting, and it's it's kind of like a full circle uh, customer experience for you or member experience, where not only can they talk with their uh, their peers and the people that they share such a passion for uh, the long range hunting, they trust the people who run the forum, the store, and the outfitting portion of it because they I, I I know because I do they get the sense that you're really one of them you're not just you didn't just start this just because you thought it was a good way to make money uh, you're really passionate about it and you share these experiences with them and I think that means a lot to the members well I think you're right Kelly and there's no way that I would have stuck with this for all these years if it hadn't been a passion because it's something that's been part of my life every single day, most hours of, of daylight every day for the last 16 years, and uh, it's just been fun. Andy and I especially just feel we're living the dream these days to be involved at this high level in the shooting and hunting industry, uh, meeting people like yourself and, and others like Bob Beck and Aaron Davidson and Frank Galley and just uh, a whole bunch of good people out there along with the, the members that we rub shoulders with literally out in the field and uh, figuratively on the Internet through forum discussions and email exchanges and uh, telephone calls from time to time, too. It's, it's just been a, a hoot for me, just quite a dream. And, Len, I know that you're uh, a big proponent of staying in shape for the hunt and preparing for the hunt and uh, tell us a little bit about your backpacking, uh, where you go, what you do, and, and how that works in with your hunting. Sure, Zeb. 
Well, first of all, the the uh, reason for my backpacking uh, and hiking was really a kind of a health and conditioning reason. I've had arthritic knees for many years. I'm 71 years old and in very good health, but my knees have been an issue for decades. And a few years ago, I realized that I wasn't able to be as aggressive out in the mountains as I wanted to and go as far for as long and frequently. So I got into uh, a hiking-type training program back at home, and for the last three years, I've been working more and more on that. And I found that my knees' discomfort from the arthritis improved almost miraculously. And uh, long story short, I got back into backpacking, which I had done in my youth, uh, as an offshoot of the, the hiking that I was doing. And the last couple of years, I've been backpacking in the mountains. This year, I have uh, eight, I think it was seven, but my wife doesn't know it's now eight backpack trips planned for this year. You and, sound like me with the amount of guns I own and, and what they cost. <laughs> but but you never have enough guns, do you? And, and I this never is have true. Enough, and I never have enough backpacking trips. <laughs> the story so, yeah. is you, you never have too many guns. You just don't have enough safes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this year I'll be uh, hiking about 200 miles total in the mountains, gaining about 30,000 feet of elevation on my eight trips and just having an absolute ball. Well, more power to you, Lynn, because um, variety makes the world go round. That wouldn't be something that I would put high on my list to do. Uh, the hiking and the hard work portion of hunting is just a necessary evil as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I'm willing to put the time and the effort in so that when I get there, I can accomplish my my goal, and that is to be able to hunt an animal in their environment and be able to, to do that. Uh, doing it for fun just never occurred to me. <laughs> yeah. I have a friend who's an outfitter, and uh, his hunts are all on horseback, and he actually accompanied me on, well, let's see, was it, I guess just one of my backpack trips last year and uh, really enjoyed it. Normally, he would do that kind of a thing on horseback, and when he got back home and and uh, exclaimed to his wife what a wonderful experience it was on foot. And he wondered if she would like to do that with him sometime up in the Teton Mountains. And she said, why would I want to do that when I have horses? <laughs> exactly. You know, I took a, I, I hunted with uh, Star Valley Outfitters uh, up sure, in Wyoming sure. last year. Yep. Uh, Bob Beck, uh, his, his new uh, outfit. So. Oh, yes, sure. I knew it was a, a horseback hunt, and I knew I had never ridden a horse. And my goal for an entire year was to go out and get four or five riding lessons and, and actually do some riding so that I, I wouldn't get so sore. But I will tell you, you know, as with everything else, I just never got around to it. So I showed up at camp, and I will tell you, those guides were not uh, horseback riding instructors. When I told them I'd never rode a horse before, they looked at me like, what are you doing here? And I said, well, you know, I'm pretty athletic, and I think I can probably figure it out, you know, as long as you don't let me get myself in trouble. Long story short, I don't even know how to cinch up a horse. And at some point in a, a really steep uh, downhill climb, my saddle slid up on my horse's shoulders, and the guide yells at me, you know, 
pull the reins, turn them sideways to the hill so you can get off. Well, when I pulled on the <laughs> reins, it made the horse mad, and he put he just flung his head down. And as he did, I went right over his head on my head. Fortunately, the ground was soft, and I didn't get hurt. But it was one of those situations where, you know, a few inches here or there, I could have landed on a rock or a log. Could have been very serious. And and that was just simply because I didn't know enough to, to check my cinch after having gotten off and take a little break or something. So uh, it, when I go back, I'll be a better horseman than I was the first time around, that's for sure. Well, I've always liked the idea of horseback riding, but my knees would always complain. And I I do... So much better now uh, that I'm in condition for it. But to me, a horse is more a means of covering some of the most rugged stuff with uh, greater speed and in a way that gives you more energy to get off on your feet and do the stalk once you get there. But those horseback rides are still uncomfortable for me after, after an hour or so. Those are exactly how they use the horses. There are some steep uh, climbs that had you had to make them on foot. By the time you got to where the, the elk or the deer were, you would have no energy to actually put on any kind of stock. So that, that's how that outfitter uses horses. Um, but I wanted to commend you on two things that I think is fantastic. Uh, I've been involved in a family business my whole life. Uh, I started working... Uh, for my father in 1975, just two years after he started the stock company. Um, And throughout my 40-some years in the stock company, all of my children and and several of my grandchildren have worked for me. So it's been a great experience. Uh, You know, sometimes it's tough. You know, dealing with family isn't always like dealing with employees. Uh, Sometimes you... You think better about saying something that you might not give a second thought to, to if it was just an employee. But for the most part, it's been part of uh, owning this business that has been a real pleasure for me. Uh, and so that's one. And the other is that you're a true entrepreneur. Uh, I've owned eight businesses. And fortunately for me, the stock company has always been successful enough that it allowed me to do other things that I wanted to do, create businesses that... If they weren't successful, and not all of them were, it didn't send me to the poorhouse. So that's been my uh, luck of having a, a good business that I could afford to to follow some of my ideas and like owning a health club. You know, I found out really early in in that career how to make a small fortune in the gym business. You know how that is. You start with you start with a large fortune. I knew something like that was coming. I knew it. <laughs> that's funny. Well, but yes. You, uh, you two share that, and, and that's that's really important. Sure, sure. I agree. What drives you to, to do different things? What drives me to do different things? I don't know. Uh, when I was 12 years old, I was selling my mother's green beans from our backyard garden door to door, and I had a paper route, and I shoveled snow. I worked... Uh, well, back then, you know, everybody worked at younger ages, and and it, it wasn't as unusual. But the the bent for the business part of it, uh, I guess, it's always been there, and and the interest in marketing, which was an important part of my success in the restaurant business and in the home building business, and even in the the website business, the the marketing has been critical. 
Uh, and it's kind of interesting, Kelly, and you've probably experienced this yourself too. By the time everybody says, boy, it would be a good thing to be in the restaurant business, or boy, it looks like everybody's making money in the rifle stock business, or boy, it looks like everybody's making money in the Internet business. By the time everybody's saying that, it's, it's too late for others to get in. Hey, Len, you know, as is usually the case, uh, Kelly and I enjoy our guests so much that uh, sometimes we get a little short time, but I wanted to get your take on the exploding extreme long-range uh, sport and, and how you're involved, and give us a little of your thoughts on that. Well, Kelly probably is as knowledgeable about that as I, since I know that he was uh, at a, an, an ELR, or extreme long-range uh, uh, event at SHOT Show just recently, but ELR is talking about shooting way, way out there, well beyond a 1,000 yards. In fact, the interest in that has been out there for some time, but the organization of it is probably in its infancy. About five years ago, on my website, uh, we developed a sub-forum specifically for ELR, extreme or extended long range, and that's getting more and more traction every year, and it's just incredible what's happening with the ability to shoot at steel targets at a mile, mile and a half, two miles, two and a half miles, three miles. It's it's just amazing. And, and we're yeah, we're glad that you're that you're on board with that and that you you created that subform. As, as you said, Kelly actually hosted the 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 opening meeting of the ELR folks. Uh, at yeah. his booth at SHOT Show, and then we went up to Night Force's uh, meeting room and continued on there. We've had some really interesting people. Uh, you know, the folks that are spearheading it are guys like Paul Phillips, who worked with the King of the Two Mile team that won, which was the applied ballistics team, I believe, uh, Brian yeah. Litz. Yes, it was. Yeah, and, uh, and Mitchell Fitz, Fitzpatrick. And uh, there's just a lot of talk going on about it and a lot of uh, decisions being made on how to make it a better, tighter, uh, more interesting event that's sanctioned. So, Well, but, just like with the website in general, you were on the cutting edge of that because um, you have some members, and, and I check in fairly regularly, and I see um, posts about, different type of bullets that are being made and you can feel free to mention any of your members and any of the the uh, companies that get a lot of talk on your show and I think it would be interesting to our listeners to to hear who contributes to your forum so that they know that it's the real deal and not just a bunch of wannabes. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, Brian Litt's name uh, was mentioned uh, by one of you just minutes ago. He and some of his, his team members are... Uh, members and participants in our forum, and that's a huge resource for our community. Uh, the Burger Bullets Company has been real involved in uh, uh, the technology of ballistic coefficients and uh, better accuracy and longer range and expansion in bullets and so forth, and they're an important part of, of that whole thing, too. Uh, it, it's just a, a large number of... Uh, companies and participants who are making things move in that regard. Well, I, the first time I ever heard of cut, Cutting Edge Bullets was on your forum. And sure, now sure. That, that's, that's kind of, uh, you know, along with Berger, one of the go-to long-range bullet uh, companies. Exactly. And uh, those people are directly involved in the ELR, really good people, um, Schmitzko. And I think that uh, they're actually 
they embrace what we try to promote from the ELR, and that is we're trying to find out, we're trying to establish the science of what it takes to shoot extreme long range. And in order to do that, we have to be able to share. Now, I'm not telling the bullet makers to share how they come up with their dynamics and, and what that is, because it, you know it, it's part of their business model to be on the cutting edge, so to speak, no pun intended. Um, and so, but but for the shooters, you know, if we share information about how we've achieved what we have, and so that others can try that, either discard it or keep it, um, the science becomes more factual than it does more, you know, book learning um, supposition about what will happen if this happens. We need really verifiable data that, that actually works, and the only way we'll get that is if we share what we're doing. Exactly. Yes. Well, um, I know we've, it seems like we just got on the air and we've got about two minutes left. Uh, I want to remind our listeners that your website is www.longrangehunting.com. That correct? That's correct. Okay. So uh, in, in just a few minutes, tell us what you want all our listeners to remember about you and your website. Well, we have a very friendly group of, of members who are very giving and sharing in their knowledge, and newcomers, newbies, always feel comfortable on our website that they're going to learn things, that they can ask questions and, and not be looked down at on because their questions are from newbies, and uh, there's just an awful lot of uh, knowledge on the website today. As, as is true on other websites and on the TV programs, it's just amazing how much education is out there. The, the video education on Frank Galley's Sniper's Hide site, the, the, the video education on uh, Best of the West and Gunworks websites and uh, others like that, Bob Beck's um, Extreme Outer Limits show, the video education there, and I don't even mean just the shows, but I mean video snippets on how to do something specific having to do with shooting and, and accuracy. It's, it's just incredible, all the assets that are out there for us all today. Well, I'm sure that a lot of our listeners are going to want to check out your website. Again, that's longrangehunting.com. Lynn, I really want to thank you for being with us. It's been a great show, and as usual, we didn't have enough time to cover everything I wanted to, but I am going to ask you to come back and spend more time with me at some time in the future. You bet. Very nice. Thanks to, again. To be thanks on again for show. being with us. Yep. It was a pleasure having you. Uh, once again, we come to the end of another great show. Uh, I want to thank all of my listeners for spending your very valuable time with us. Have a great weekend, and we'll all see you back here on voiceamerica.com sports channel for another session of Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Thank you for tuning in to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Be sure to come back for more next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. The weekend is here. Enjoy yourself. We'll talk again next week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.